Hello and welcome to Series G, the business-focused gaming podcast. This is your host Mustafa and you are listening to episode number 10. In today's episode, we catch up with Tara Reddy, the CEO and co-founder of Love Shark. Tara shares her incredible journey from being a veterinarian to going to business school, joining Blipar, one of the frontier tech companies in AR, and then finding her own company. She shares her insights into the world of AR, how to build products for Gen Z, and what roadblocks must be overcome before the next adoption of AR technology. Hey Tara, welcome to Series G. Thank you for making it onto the podcast. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the topics today in terms of what your business is doing, your experience that's shaped your entrepreneurial journey thus far, and a little bit about Gen Z, I would love to hear from your own words, your background. Okay, so I started out as a veterinarian and now I'm a games company founder. So that's been a bit of an interesting journey. So I basically started as a vet. I worked as a vet for six years and I loved helping people and solving problems and working directly with the public. But I found that, you know, after six years in the business that kind of wanted more of a creative outlet and I wanted to think bigger than the consult room or the surgery. Um, and I really didn't know what my other options were because all I'd ever known was being a vet. So I actually decided to go and do an MBA to just find out what the world of business was about and where I could fit into that. And that MBA was from London Business School, right? That's right. Yeah. And as soon as I got there, I kind of looked around and I, I started to know about consulting and finance and these things. And I was pretty much sure from the start that that was not my path. And I've never really been a corporate person. I was always really interested in tech. So I started working in some tech startups and I just found I was like a fish to water. It just suited me really well. So after the MBA, I was like, great, I want to go and join a really interesting consumer startup because I've always loved thinking about the direct impact it's going to have on individual people rather than B2B or like enterprise type tech. So I was looking for lots of tech jobs and not many of them wanted to interview me because they saw my CV and they saw I was a vet, which was a bit weird. But actually Blipper had caught my eye. And it was a company that I'd been following for a couple of years at that point. So I decided to send a tweet to the CEO saying, um, I think Blipper needs me. And he said, come in for an interview next week. <laughs> so I went in, had an interview there, and it was just a great fit. Such an exciting company on such a big mission. So I spent two years there in the product management team um, before eventually leaving to start my own startup, which is a games company. Basically make camera games. So if you imagine we use things like AR and machine learning technology to make games that you play in the mobile phone camera. And that is it's super fun. It's super exciting and it's extremely scalable. So yeah, it's a pretty exciting place to be. So of course, you've had a lot of interesting experience from being a vet to doing a full 180 and doing the MBA, which is of course the main reason that people do MBAs is to kind of pivot and do something completely different. So really awesome that you found that kind of avenue. And so what attracted you then to the AR frontier and then even further beyond that to pivot that towards games? I think with AR, it was just possibilities. Like it was it was kind of a, a new technology with you know where there wasn't that much great consumer impact yet, but just by seeing some of the early demos, you could see that there was huge potential here. And I like that. I like that blank slate. So that's what made me really excited to go into AR. And then I guess after spending two years product managing consumer apps in AR, I started to see that this level of interactivity that you get in, in AR that makes the experience in your real world was just unlike anything that we were seeing in other mediums. And, you know, I was I kept waiting for a great AR game to, and it kept not happening. So eventually my co-founder who also worked at Blipper, Sam, he's a, he was an engineer. We decided, you know what? 
let's just start making this. So we actually left Blipper and started experimenting with AR games. Um, and that's how Love Shark was founded. And so then in your opinion, do you think that there's, it's a bit of a chicken and egg situation, right? Because there's not a lot of games content out there in terms of great AR games, but the platforms themselves also don't quite exist. We know in the background that Google are seriously working on some type of AR glasses, and hopefully that's unveiled to the public sometime in the near future. But what do you think has to happen first or has to be the catalyst for mass adoption of an acceptance of AR as well as AR games? I think there's sort of two sides to this. Firstly, I think there already is mass adoption, but it's not how we thought it would look. So obviously things like face filters, um, you know, that's been around for like, what, five years or so. And that's like, you know, every AR evangelist was nightmare. They thought it was going to be something really cool and really techy. And actually it's something that's very like fun. And, you know, some would say a bit superficial. I don't think it's the tech that's holding back adoption now. I mean, when it comes to mobile AR, and maybe we can talk about glasses in a minute, but when it comes to mobile, the tech is there. There's, you know, easy access to SLAM, which is basically, if people don't know, it's the technology that makes an AR object stick on a surface. So it feels like it's really in the room. You know, there's access to face tracking, to great computer vision, but it's basically a lot of content. I feel like the tech for mobile AR is there right now. And I think a big part of the problem is there's a lot of developers out there that are super excited about tech, but they're not thinking about audience. So, you know, what is being produced is generally a bit underwhelming. You know, there's this like vision of running around Trafalgar Square, shooting spaceships with your mobile phone. Um, general public don't want that. And we've seen that over and over again. So do you think that the mass adoption that we've experienced today in terms of the face vaults and things that Snapchat has done with filters has actually been a detriment to the more sophisticated level of adoption we would like to see with AR on a bigger scale? No, not really. I think it's been a really good socialization. So people start to understand what the deal of AR is. I think it's that there's not enough great AR content creators that are really thinking about people and about user experience when they're building this content. And I think it's starting to shift. So before it was developers that were creating the content. Now designers are starting to be able to because there's tools that allow them to create AR content. And now we can see that, you know, in some areas like face filters, actually the general public create content. And that's where we're seeing the real creativity being unleashed. So I think as we sort of see this like gradual democratization of tools, we will see much better content. But yeah, I think sort of blaming the tech is not the thing. I think it's it's really, you know, a content issue. And actually, you look at where, where are investors investing in this space? They're investing in the tech, they're investing in the platforms. There's very few investors investing in AR content. The good stuff maybe not getting the chance to rise to the top as well. Right. And you know, this reminds me of a certain presentation that I read recently by Benedict Evans, who was an ex and recent Horowitz partner and recently released a presentation talking about tech frontiers and what you can expect to see next. And so he talks about these technology S-curves, which transition from basically being in three different phases, from being stupid to then exciting, then to boring. And then once a certain technology reaches that boring part, that paves the way for the next S-wave of technology to kick in. So it transitioned from mainframes to PCs, then to web, then to smartphones. And very interestingly as well, he puts in his presentation that AR could be that next wave and whether that comes in the form of the big tech companies developing AR glasses and then allowing consumers to mass adopt and then kind of become customary to that. Because the point you made earlier in terms of how what we expected to see is not how the AR market is playing out right now is so true because I think back to just over 12 years ago when the first Iron Man movie released, for example, and when Tony Stark is playing with um, augmented reality and in, in that movie, and it just kind of sparks the imagination of what is possible in the future, but we're not quite there yet. So in terms of the various
various experiences that you've had, has there been anything from Blipar specifically that helped you start your journey in terms of building your own AR company? I mean, absolutely. I think Blipar was an amazing company to work at. I think a lot of people think of it as an app or as an AR advertising, but they did everything in the AR stack. You know, they built one of the first AR engines. They had a SaaS platform. They had excellent division in many, many verticals, plus a whole range of consumer apps. And they had this massive ambition. They were going to be the visual version of Google. You could hold your phone up anywhere, point it at any object, and it would know what that was and then give you the contextual information on that. You know, it was an absolutely massive vision. And that meant that they had, it was, you know, they had such ambitious people with high autonomy in this high growth startup with a lot of cash. It just meant it was a playground for talent to actually get really down and dirty with AR. And the good thing about Blipper was we shipped a lot. So you may not think of that many apps that Blipper did, but there was actually quite a few more than people would know because there was a lot of the ones that were done quietly as tests. But it wasn't about playing with AR in a lab. It was about shipping stuff and learning real consumers. So Sam and I came out of Blipper with a really deep understanding what works and what doesn't in AR, how consumers react to that and what the behaviors are around that, what things, you know, they're they're happy to do and what things they're not happy to do. And like a very broad sort of example is that people generally don't want to hold their phone up, especially not in public. And that kind of is quite a big barrier to AR mobile adoption. But I think just having that sort of wealth of experience gave us the confidence to start a company and know, you know what, no, we're not going to go down the techie route. We're going to go down product and the people route. And, you know, it may be different than a lot of other guys in our space, but that's our way. And everything that we've seen to date really has supported that so far. So yeah, I think it gave us experience, confidence, and then obviously a great network of really, really smart people. It's actually a perfect segue into the next topic, which is talking about the way that you're building your company with a focus on the bite-sized AR content, specifically for the demographic which you're building for, which is Gen Z. So you've taken all this incredible product knowledge and experience for both you and your co-founder, Sam, from Blipar, and are now moving that towards your company. So how have you layered that experience and that knowledge onto this unique demographic, which is like is starting to come into their first foray of disposable income and how does that kind of merge together? So I think they're quite well socialized and they're very fast learners as, as young people generally are. So we've not had to worry too much about tech adoption, but we know that they've got the world at their fingertips and they always have. They've always had so much options for content. So whatever you do, it has to resonate and it has to resonate fast. So we've had to learn quite a bit about this audience and what really matters to them and what makes them different than other audiences. So I think, you know, the first part is spending a lot of time with the audience. So, you know, we've seen that they're genuinely very open. They've grown up in this world where the nuclear family unit has been really challenged and they're very accepting as a generation and they're very mission driven as well so they care about issues they know about what's happening in the world and they make a point of educating themselves and building upon that they want to make a difference so when we're building product we don't just think about what's a fun toy that we can make for Gen Z we think about why is this interesting and why would this have more impact on them besides just being a game or, or a mini experience so we try to look into some of the, the deeper drivers for them you know we know that they understand privacy they completely understand what they're doing on social media unlike a lot of older audiences and they know what the repercussions are so they hack things so they create finsters which is fake Instagrams so they'll have their normal Instagram profile with their nice pictures on it that maybe their mum can see and then they'll have their fake Insta which is just them and a few friends where they'll go wild they post the ridiculous pictures they'll post like you know memes that maybe are not suitable for work etc etc but they're just this very smart generation I would say and I think the biggest thing is they sniff inauthenticity a mile off so we don't try to just create content for Gen Z and then dish it up to them we work with them so they're part of our process all the way through. So we work with them on, on coming up with concepts, testing prototypes, 
from building our brand, you know, everything, they're part of it from the start. So there's two kinds of things there. One is, of course, massive social impact, fast learns, et cetera. But then they are a key component of the onboarding process. Now, no longer is the onboarding process when the product is launched officially, but it, rather it's in the development phase. And this is something that's kind of transcendent across games as a whole, because we have pre-launch Discord communities, various different types of servers, Reddit groups, et cetera, that people are communicating and helping build the games. And so it looks like Gen Z is not very different in that sense, which is a good thing because that creates a natural transition from the way people are beginning to do things and how they can leverage that into this younger demographic. So what would you say then, in your opinion, would be two or three key things that the game developers or founders of tomorrow would need to hit whether they're working on AR games or regular games to cater to this audience and keep them in mind? I think it's a little bit like what I was saying before and just that like actually listening to them and taking them seriously. You know, we have young people join our focus groups and our game ideation sessions and just being a part of that and actually listening to them and not patronizing. We're always amazed by the stuff that they come out with. Like they're super smart. So I think that's part of it. And then you probably want to think about what's really important to them. So these guys, they've grown up knowing that they can be anything. They could post a video on YouTube and blow up, you know, they're doing their side hustles. They're, they're selling clothes on Depop on the side. These guys are they're kind of like quite business minded as well. So maybe thinking about, you know, what's really in it for them as well. So that might sound like a bit detached from games. But for us, we think about our games because they, they're camera games and they have the ability to create video content. We think about how can we engage the creative community and make them a part of building this, this whole platform that we're doing. So I think just knowing that they expect autonomy and they almost expect creativity. Now, entertainment isn't passive for them anymore. It's, it's interactive and we see that with the stats for them, you know, engaging more and more with games versus movies or other types of content than, you know, previous generations. Yeah. Even if you think about things like Roblox, which just recently did their series year round of financing, it really plays to the hyper personalized nature of the content that lives on the platform. It's the players themselves, which are creating the content and actually getting the chance to monetize their content as well and start to develop a love for building and creating. And that's something that proliferate in the years to come. Even stat on Roblox was that all the, or at least 50% of the audience was 13 to 19 years old or something similar to that. So it's a very, very young audience. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. You, to be a creator, you don't just, just need to be, you know, making videos that will interact with, on, you know, via likes or comments. You could be making your own games or making your own AR, you know, effects or filters, etc. So yeah, there's just like a new level of interactivity, which I think is going to be expected very, very soon. Okay. So now bringing it all back high level once again, just to wrap up this main part of the episode, what does the future of AR mean to you and what core levers need to be pulled or push for things to seamlessly fall into place? Okay, so let's start with mobile. So the tech is there. It's about getting that tech into the hands of people who create really useful stuff. Like I've talked to a few quite big notable companies um, in the AR space recently, and they're all about getting their tools out to external creators because they know there's a content issue here. So for mobile, I think it's content. Going forward to things like glasses, you know, we're already seeing that like the, you know, the glasses and the goggles, they're, they're getting, they're okay now. You know, you can have a, a decent experience in them but there's things like battery life or the comfort level or the clunkiness or the look of the glasses but I think it's going to come I think in the next five years we're going to have some pretty robust glasses available to the mainstream I believe it's probably going to start with specific glasses for specific purposes so like a Nintendo Wii you know what I mean you get your fun home gameplay glasses and they're like part of your console
console. And then maybe you have your, your workspace classes that are a bit more specialized for that type of work or enterprise-based classes. And then I think it will eventually evolve to, you know, the, the multi-purpose single set of classes. But there's definitely still some hardware challenges there that we're tackling them and it's and I think it's happening fairly quickly, but it, it needs time. And then we're going to hit the same issue again that we've already seen with mobile AR, which is content. And I, and I guarantee that's going to happen again because it's the same problem of really technical people creating these products, but not really thinking about what the end use cases are going to be or having very, you know, it's amazing that like a whale, you see a whale splashing in a high school jet, but is that really an everyday use case? Probably not. So it's then going to be about, okay, how do we get the content? How do we overcome the behavioral hurdles that are going to come around glasses? You know, are people going to feel embarrassed? Is it going to be like the whole Google Glass thing again, where, you know, it's a stigma to wear it out in public? I mean, there's two ways that you overcome these behaviors in, in my mind. One is like function and one is fun. So if you can make a product that's that damn useful, you know, people will get over the look things. Or if it can be so fun that you forget about how ridiculous you look, then, you know, that's the other one. If it's in the middle, people don't, I don't think people adopt, you know, it has to be very functional or very fun. No, agreed. It's a kind of a rule of thumb, especially in venture as well, when we consider that any new investment or product or idea or platform has to really deliver a 10x approach to how that end user will benefit, whether that's in the form of 10x reduced price, 10x increased efficiency, 10x improved experience. So 100% agree with you in that. And finally, on this point on AR, do you think that the talent pool is right now equipped or do we need additional time to the educational system or to the public in general to get educated and up to speed on how to build? and create games for AR? I think that the AR talent pool is very skewed towards a certain type of person and it's generally people who are technophiles. What we really need is more sort of people from arts backgrounds or from even just from other backgrounds as well, like diverse backgrounds, gender, etc, etc, where they're thinking about what would I want to play? Not, you know, they're not, maybe not the kids that are dreaming of these like really high tech, the Iron Man type thing, but they're thinking more about how could I make something really fun that would almost be at home in Snapchat. So I think there's some really good minds in AR, but I think it's too skewed towards tech right now. And we need those people, but we need a balance of creative and design types as well and product people. Like, honestly, I don't know that many really great AR product people. You know, they're starting to come up and you you do see them, but like, really, it should be user first. And that's what product managers' job is to think about the audience and the user and then translate that into a product. When it's developers that's making it, you miss that step. And I think that's definitely a gap here. Okay, that's helpful. Good to know. And now, what are you working on these days that you can share with us? Okay, so Love Shark is um, my company. Um, and our thing is that we make camera games for Gen Z. So like I said before, that's a game played in the mobile phone camera. And we have more of a focus towards female players. It's not exclusively, but that's, you know, when I think about who's our target audience and who's our target user, I, I generally think of Gen Z female players. And sort of like a bit of a backstory on that. I've been gaming my whole life and I've always felt like there wasn't that much content for me. Like when I walked into a game shop, there was sort of a lot of fighting and racing and driving games. And then there was this like little Barbie pink section. And then there was this like very small middle section of stuff that appealed to me. And I didn't really feel like the gaming community was my place, but humans learn via play and all of the animal kingdom learns via play. It's not a gendered behavior. So I say there'd been a massive opportunity for a game community for players who've been left out, you know, of games traditionally. So teen boys, they go to Fortnite and Minecraft and that's their after school game community where they play, where they create and where they share. And where's that game community for team girls? Like, I don't know what that is. And that's what we're trying to do. Hopefully you're building it right now. (laughs) Well, exactly. That's where we're going. So everything we do, you know, the content, the way we build the reward system, the social elements, and the way the community interacts with each other is built with young female players in mind. And it's not in a stereotypical way. Like, I'm really bored of these dating games and cooking games and dressing up your character and like these over-sexualized outfits. 
it's, you know, I want to make a community where Gen Z girls join and they think, oh my God, this is my people. Like, I want to learn more about these people. I want to connect with them and I want to create and I want to express myself here. That's where we're going and that's what we're building. That's awesome. I'm really excited to see what Love Shark can do in the future. And just as we kind of run to time here to wrap up, what are you playing today? Oh, so I've got two games on the go at the moment. So I just recently got a gaming PC. I'm playing Creatures, which is a simulation game that's actually about 20 years old that I used to play as a teenager. Basically an artificial life simulation where you breed these creatures and they live in this amazing interactive world that's all based on AI. And then my other game is Tropical. I'm playing Tropical 4, which is a game that I play quite religiously over and over and love it. But yeah, I'm quite in simulations. Awesome. Yeah, simulation definitely seems like the go-to genre for you. Well, thank you so much, Tara, for coming onto the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to really enjoy talking to you about AR, Gen Z, and the future of this particular space. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that concludes this week's episode of Series G, the business-focused gaming podcast. Once again, this is your host, Mustafa. As always, you can find our guest's social links in the notes section of the podcast, as well as information on the items mentioned in this episode. Thank you all for listening. I will catch you next week. Stay frosty.